Summer hit today, right? We had, we had spring yesterday, summer today. We're back to spring in a couple of more days here, but anyway. Yeah, so I think most of us prefer it a little warm, so this is, this is good. If you have your Bibles tonight, let's turn to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're just getting started in, in the book here. And uh, we come to one of the key verses in the entire book. Uh, is what we're going to look at tonight, verse 5, chapter 1, verse 5. And uh, let me pray, and then we'll get into our study here. Lord, again, we thank you for the privilege, indeed, privilege to come together in Jesus' name, the freedoms that we enjoy, uh, easy to take for granted when we've had it our whole life. But uh, we thank you for your blessings, and, and uh, thank you for this place to meet. I pray that you would bless all the ongoing ministries of the evening, Awana Youth Group, as well as our study and prayer time together. Commit ourselves and our study to you now. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First Timothy was written late in the Apostle Paul's apostleship in terms of his apostolic career, uh, in about uh, 64 A.D., after his first imprisonment, uh, probably in the course of his uh, fourth missionary journey. Uh, you'll note on the uh, overhead here, I give you just an approximate timeline of his missionary career. Three missionary journeys, then he's processed through the Roman courts, and uh, finally he's released on his fourth missionary journey. <clears throat> it's in this context, we believe, that uh, 1 Timothy is written. Probably about 64. Uh, he'll be imprisoned again, then uh, beheaded, executed about 67 A.D. So just remember where we are. Uh, he planted the church at Ephesus on his third missionary journey. Maybe about 53, 54, uh, you know, somewhere in there. So uh, it's been a while. Uh, you know, we're writing about 64, about 10 years earlier, uh, when the church was planted there. And... Uh, as we think about this, um, clearly at the end of the third missionary journey, Paul met with the elders at Ephesus, as it says in Acts chapter 20. So there were elders on the scene there. Um, it's uh, still a, a fairly young, fledgling church, right? I mean, it's uh, maybe about 10 years old or so, which is still a pretty young church. Paul sees the necessity to re-emphasize and to really underscore Elder qualifications. A uh, church is no better than its elders, in, in a sense. Does it rise above the, the leadership in terms of the quality of what's happening? So he really hammers that home, as we will see in, in chapter 3, as well as church order. He's really laying down, here's, here's how the church needs to function. In fact, that's uh, uh, the outline, that's, or that's the, um, the theme uh, of the book. Let me uh, move to that. <clears throat> theme, church order, and we're in this, uh, after the greetings here, commands to Timothy regarding doctrine and practice. So we'll uh, look at that here tonight and uh, also the next uh, couple of times here. Uh, we saw last time as he gives his greetings, and uh, then he says uh, in verse 3, uh, he wanted uh, Timothy to remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. There's a concern about some of the teachers, evidently, who are kind of off track. And he is, this is a big assignment for Timothy. You need to kind of bring things in line doctrinally. Uh, charge some that they teach no other doctrine. And uh, 
Notice his concern, verse 4, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. He's concerned about some of the the teachers on the scene, uh, probably some of the elders who are, um, he has concern about them. Remember he said in Acts 20, how even some of their own selves would uh, rise up and uh, cause, want to make disciples who, who follow them and so forth. So he's got this in the back of his mind here. Uh, It's interesting, at the end of verse 4, my new King James says, uh, rather than godly edification, which is in faith, uh, New American Standard, a little bit more literal here, uh, talks about, uh, or translates this, uh, the administration, which is by faith. Uh, The word administration is literally the word uh, dispensation. If you're going to be real uh, literal, uh, the dispensation, uh, which is by faith. So he's really talking about um, God's plan of grace. I think that's what he's talking about. He talks in this, in this language elsewhere. Uh, for example, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 2, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, same word here, which was given to me for you. So he's talking about uh, God's plan of grace, God's administration of grace, uh, God's grace plan that relates to the church age. And what do we often call the church age? Well, we call it the age of grace. Uh, I mean, there's always been grace. I mean, there's grace in the Old Testament too, but uh, the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And, and uh, we have, we're under a new covenant now uh, that really emphasizes grace in a superlative way. And so uh, we noted that last time. A couple of things just as a footnote here. We think about the pastoral epistles, there's a couple of major emphases. Uh, there's, an interest, there's an emphasis on doctrine, and there's an emphasis on godliness. Uh, those two themes are very predominant in the pastoral epistles, First and Second Timothy and Titus. And uh, they go together, right? I mean, how you believe uh, relates to how you live. Uh, doctrine, right? Doctrine and godliness, uh, they go together. And so, uh, okay, enough background. Uh, we've had the greeting. Uh, he's charging Timothy to uh, make sure nobody's teaching anything else other than apostolic doctrine. And uh, we pick it up here now. Verse. Who wants to read verse 5? That, that, that verse will be enough to chew on for a while. Who, who was, yeah, Vince? <clears throat> okay, thank you. What's that? I do have a packed verse. Yes, we've spent most of our time on this verse, actually. Um, Notice he says the purpose of the commandment, that is the aim, the goal of the commandment. Well, what commandment? Well, the commandment is just given, right? That uh, you charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Uh, So that's uh, the commandment, uh, the charge that he has just given related to uh, the administration uh, of God's uh, grace plan, which relates to faith, uh, which is in faith, and grace and faith go together consistently in the New Testament. We're saved by grace through faith. Uh, God's grace and, and faith, they work hand in hand. And so he's saying uh, the purpose of this commandment, uh, that they don't teach any other doctrine. They stay right on track in terms of God's administration, which relates to faith. Uh, and here, here's the purpose of the command. Here's where he wants us to go. It is love from a pure heart, good conscience, and sincere faith. 
So the word love here is agape love, the intense word for love. And uh, the desire here is that the charge be healthy for the church and lead to love. Now, that's always the, the goal. As we grow in grace, we grow in love. Uh, you want a loving church? It will be one that's based on proper sound doctrine related to grace, related to God's administration, versus a legalistic uh, emphasis, which is what these false teachers were teaching, as we will see as we get into verse 7 in particular here tonight. So uh, faith and uh, love go together, hand in glove, uh, here in Galatians 5, 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. That's not what it's about. But faith working through love. Uh, This is the kind of faith we're talking about uh, that avails uh, something. It it matters. Faith working through love. And so I I think really that's uh, true faith. Uh, True faith is a working faith. Uh, We're not saved by works. We're saved by faith, grace through faith. But if it's the right kind of faith, uh, it works its way out in, in love. It's the defining trait as we see uh, even Jesus saying this is the mark of his disciples in John chapter 13. New commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Now, it wasn't a, a, a new command to love one another. That was in the Old Testament uh, to love. But uh, it's new in the sense of uh, as I have loved you. That, that sets the bar higher than anything that's ever been presented before. That you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. This is the defining mark of God's people, of Christ's people, uh, under the the new covenant. Uh, It's it's the the defining trait. Now, as we think about being under a new covenant relationship, uh, new covenant relationship with the Lord, which also binds all of us together, the Holy Spirit is key in the new covenant. And uh, as you think about the Spirit and our relationship with the, the Holy Spirit in the new covenant, What's the defining fruit of uh, this? Well, it's love, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, etc. But, but love is at the, at the, in the first place, and everything kind of flows out of that. Uh, now abide the faith, hope, love. These three, the greatest of these is love, 1 Corinthians 13, 13. So um, note here, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 3. If anyone loves God, this one is known by him. Love, again, defining trait. And then, beloved, First uh, John 4, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God. Pretty clear, right? For God is love. So again, the defining trait of uh, true Christianity is, is love. It's faith that ushers in love. Uh, that's the emphasis there. The issue of God's love is what separates true teaching from false. Only proper grace teaching in keeping with God's administration of grace bears the fruit of love. Only authentic ministry that builds on the right doctrine of God's grace truly brings forth the fruit of God's love. Love is the defining factor in authentic Christian ministry. This is what God uses to build his church. Uh, Ray Stedman, the great thrust of the gospel is to produce loving people. There's what I think Paul is saying. He summarized it well there. Uh, This is the goal. 
to build a family of love. This is the mark of, of Christ's disciples. This is the mark of Christ's true church. Uh, a, a group of people that love as he loved. This is to be the identifying mark. And so, so that's the purpose of the command. Uh, good, solid teaching leads to people loving one another properly. Uh, legalism, you know the Pharisees were a very loving bunch, right? Right? Christ says, go, go and learn what it means to have mercy. I mean, okay, we keep the rules. Are you keeping the rules, brother? <laughs> I mean, where's the love there? It, it really wasn't there. Legalism does not tend towards love. It tends to self-righteousness, uh, holier-than-thou, critical spirit, all those things. But true teaching uh, that is uh, related to God's administration of love, the new covenant ministry that we now find ourselves under, really, when proper grace teachings in place, it really uh, adds to love. And that's the emphasis here. Um, let's see here. Well, uh, this is the end goal. Uh, the end goal of the command, he says, of, of charging that they teach no other doctrine other than really apostolic doctrine, New Testament doctrine, the administration of, of God's grace that works in accordance with faith. Um, but uh, let's, let's uh, fast forward just a little bit, okay? What church is he addressing here? Ephesus. Uh, it's in about uh, 64. The church was planted about 10 years earlier. Let's uh, flash uh, forward about 30 years, okay, uh, to the book of Revelation. And uh, Jesus Christ is now evaluating the church. How they be, how they doing? Well, not too well on this score, right? A uh, lot of positive things. I mean, they were firm on doctrine, and they knew how to out those false apostles and and, and so forth. There were some positives there. But yet Jesus Christ says, nevertheless, I have this against you. You've left your first love. Man, they really reneged on 1 Timothy 1.5. They, they let go of that. So serious. Christ says, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works or else. Now, this is an or else. Or else I will come to you quickly and remove your, your lampstand, your, your witness, from its place unless you repent. So, so serious. Even though they had good sound doctrine down and there was a lot of things that were, if you read the previous verses before we get to verse 4 here in Revelation 2, a lot of positives. But yet, the lack of love, so serious that Christ says, if you don't repent and you don't get back to where you need to be on, on the issue of love, I'm going to remove your lampstand. Yeah. Sure. Uh, you know, it's always an interesting question, and we grapple with that, you know, as far as loving the Lord and loving his people, almost a pretty close package. Uh, you know, how John says, you know, if you don't love your brother, how can you love God? So it's kind of like, well, if you're not really loving Jesus properly, you're probably not loving each other properly either. So, yeah, um, at first love uh, certainly, I think, relates to Jesus, but I think it also relates to his people, too. Um, I don't know that you can make a hard division there, but certainly, certainly the Lord himself comes in, into place. Yeah. Okay. Uh, very good. Uh, notice he says uh, the 
the purpose of the commandment is love. This is the reason for the charge that they don't teach any other doctrine. And uh, note then he really develops, where does love come from? Uh, what's, what's the basis of this, this agape love that we're talking about? Well, he spells it out. Uh, love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and from sincere faith. Here is the ground in which love grows, right here. Uh, love springs forth from these three things, almost like a three-legged stool here. I think that they're all connected. Pure heart, good conscience, sincere faith. Kind of describing different aspects of uh, uh, what a true faith looks like. Um, in Acts 15, 9, uh, notice uh, he talks about uh, the first thing here, uh, is a, is a pure heart, from a pure heart. Uh, you know, how do you get a pure heart? How do you get a cleansed heart? Well, Acts 15 made no distinction between us and them. He's talking about Jews and Gentiles. Purifying their hearts by faith. That's why I say I think they're all, all interrelated. Uh, you, don't, you don't get a, a pure heart apart from faith, but you put your faith in the Lord, there's a cleansing that takes place in salvation. And so he's talking about uh, uh, what's related, kind of as, as, the, as the foundation that's related to uh, what brings forth uh, love in your life? Well, here's, here's the, the ground for it. It's a pure heart, uh, he mentions here. And then a good conscience. A, a good conscience. Again, uh, good conscience, uh, or the idea of conscience is, is mentioned by Paul many times in, in his writings. A good conscience is a clear conscience. It's, it's a right conscience. 1 Peter 3.21 uh, the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Edmund Hebert summarizes, a good conscience is one that has been freed from the guilt of sin by the application of Christ's blood. I think, we, you know, we could develop that. You go to Hebrews chapter 9, other places that relates uh, uh, a good conscience uh, to uh, the blood of Jesus Christ. So again, uh, note uh, not only a pure heart and a good conscience, but also from sincere faith. The word sincere literally means unhypocritical, unhypocritical faith, uh, that which is real. Uh, no pretending here. Uh, it's a sincere faith. It's genuine. Uh, doesn't play games. <clears throat> First Timothy 3.15. I don't know why I got that up there, but uh, let's go on to the next one. It's a good verse. <laughs> It's not the one I'm looking for. Uh, the Greek word translated as sincere here is the one from which we get hypocrite. Uh, it was a term used by actors, uh, one who pretends to be what he is not. And, of course, uh, it's uh, got a parenthesis or a, a, um, the word a in front of it. So it's, it's not a hypocrite. It's unhypocritical is the idea. A sincere faith is an unhypocritical faith. John calls those with a hypocritical faith liars. And in Revelation 21.8, says all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire. The saving faith is unhypocritical, which is, which is the emphasis here. I think everything builds on this particular verse here. Um, we've got uh, the foundation, pure heart, good conscience, sincere faith. I think that's really a package. And out of that springs love, which is the fruit. We're not saved by love, we're saved by faith, a sincere faith. You know, you could describe it in different ways, but this is really a package. But out of that comes love, out of that, which is the, which is the fruit. Everything builds in that regard.
Okay, any thoughts before we move on to the next uh, verses here? Nope? Okay, very good. Let's have somebody read verse, uh, well, let's read 6 through 8. They all go together. So who wants to read verses 6 through 8 there? Yeah, Jeff? Thank you. We're stopping right in the middle of the sentence there, but uh, we'll pick up on that next week. We can't uh, say it all here tonight. But uh, notice uh, from which some have strayed. What have they strayed from? Well, they've strayed from the commandment that he has just emphasized related to this charge that they don't teach outside the the administrative uh, administration of God, the, the dispensation of grace that we find ourselves in. And uh, from which some have strayed, and they've strayed from, you know, uh, coming from this position where, uh, of having a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith. So he's really calling into question their faith, even, uh, from out of which springs love, from which some have strayed. And again, I think uh, when he says, uh, uh, from which some, the some here probably refers to those who are in a teaching position. These people are clearly wanting to make themselves out to be teachers, as we see in verse 7. So they have strayed from uh, God's program of grace. Uh, strayed literally means to, to swerve, uh, to get off track, uh, to miss the mark. Uh, so some, some have gotten off track here. And he says, and have turned aside. Uh, to turn aside means to to uh, turn out or to twist out. It was used of a, a limb that's uh, been torn out of joint. Uh, that idea, twisted out of joint. And notice what they've turned to, uh, to idle talk. Uh, this is where the problem is. Uh, they're teaching wrong. Uh, their talk, it's idle talk. It's not edifying talk. It's not building up. It's, it's idle, idle talk. And... Uh, Notice he had said earlier how this fosters disputes rather than love, as we saw back in verse 4. And so he's concerned about this idle talk, this meaningless chatter. It's not really building up the people of God here. And uh, as we think about this, uh, they, they got a mouth problem, uh, a teaching problem. That's what teachers use as their mouth here. And it's, this is the major issue with the problem with their mouth. And he goes on to say here, Desiring to be teachers of the law. Now, that's a real clue here in terms of where these people are coming from. We had a little clue back in verse uh, 4 when he talks about uh, they uh, giving, uh, talking about fables and endless genealogies, which tended to be a Jewish emphasis. Uh, the rabbis were all about this, and the Jews were really into this. Uh, in fact, one of the pastoral epistles, he talks about Jewish fables and so forth. So uh, we really think uh, this is uh, emphasizing they're, they're getting into the law here. And uh, notice uh, they seem to be you know, wanting the prominent position, right? Uh, we're desiring to be teachers, and we're putting ourselves up here as, as somebody that's really to be listened to uh, as a teacher of the law. So they really kind of are wanting to come off as experts, uh, like a rabbi or something. Well, I'm an expert in the law. I know what I'm talking about. I've done my homework. Uh, listen to me. Uh, desiring to be teachers of the law. Notice he doesn't say desiring to be teachers of grace. Desiring to be on God's page in terms of his administration, in terms of the dispensation of grace we now find ourselves. No, no, no. They want to take us back to the law. Uh, These are legalistic teachers. Uh, 
is the idea here. So uh, this is uh, their goal. Uh, they want to be uh, teachers of the law. And again, uh, we think this relates to the uh, Jewish emphasis. Uh, I'm out of sync here with my, but this is a good slide, so we don't want to miss this one. <laughs> 1 Timothy 1.5 is central to the uh, letter of 1 Timothy. Everything builds on this. It really is basic to all that defines authentic Christianity. The grace administration of God is based on a life-changing faith that issues in a life of love. Not perfectly, but it colors the whole of our lives. I mean, if, if the love of God doesn't in some way shade and shape your life, you really probably need to ask, am I really even in the faith? But uh, let's see if I can get to the slide I want to get to here. Here we go. The context of those desiring to be teachers of the law, along with their preoccupation with genealogy, strongly suggests that these teachers had a legalistic Jewish orientation. Uh, the phrase teachers of the law is connected with Judaism, uh, associated with Pharisees in places like Luke 5 and Acts 5. So, uh, you know, that's most of the commentators are in agreement here. We're probably talking about a, a Jewish emphasis here that's wanting to take us back to the law. Gentiles wouldn't want to take you back there necessarily, but those with a Jewish background probably would be susceptible to this. And so we think that's, uh, that's what's in view here. Uh, false teachers uh, are in the context of the church here, and they're wanting to bring in the law. They're wanting to kind of muddy the waters of grace uh, with, uh, with law and, and have a mixture of law and, and grace. Uh, Judaizers. Uh, what we call these folks. William MacDonald, uh, the false teachers referred to in the previous verses were Judaizers, we tend to think so, who sought to mix Judaism and Christianity, law and grace, which is always a deadly mix. Is there another book in the New Testament that really hammers this? There's several, actually. Galatians. Boy, I put that right at the front. Yeah, Galatians. Wait. Romans. What else? How about Colossians? How about Hebrews? Uh, you know, all over the place here, really. And so um, they maintained the faith in Christ was not sufficient for salvation. They taught that the law was the be believer's uh, rule of life. Uh, and then he says, in its modern form, it states that although faith in Christ is necessary for salvation, a person must also be baptized, uh, join a church, keep the law, do penance or tithe or perform some other type of good works. Uh, again, Anytime you begin to uh, add anything to grace, you've got uh, a legalistic false gospel. And uh, that's the concern, I think, here with these, with these Judaizers. Acts 13, uh, all over the place we could go in the New Testament, but just a couple of references. Acts 13, 39, And by him everyone who believes is justified from all things, from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Uh, so when you put your faith in Christ, you're justified from all things, not a few, all things. And the, the law of Moses couldn't help us there, uh, which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Galatians 3, but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. So uh, we're not saved by law keeping. You want to bring the law into it, that, that's, a, that's always a problem. But these are here are desiring to be teachers of the law. That, that's their emphasis. Notice it doesn't say grace, uh, law. Desiring to be teachers of the law. 
And he says, this is a really a, kind of a kick uh, in the head for them. Understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. They don't know what they're talking about. Uh, they're wanting to be teachers of the law, but they don't get it. They don't understand the administration of God's grace. They don't understand what they are saying and the things that they affirm. And, and yet, notice, they do affirm it. They affirm these things. And usually, false teachers come off very dogmatic. It's one reason they get a following. If somebody's really sure of themselves. Boy, I know what I'm talking about. Yeah, they're affirming it. Uh, this is part of the, the ploy. Come off very dogmatic. So, uh, grace uh, is not to be confused with law. We don't, we don't mix law and grace. Uh, grace properly taught is that which promotes love amongst God's people, which is what the end goal is. Okay, um, any thoughts before we go down to verse 8 here tonight? Yeah? That's right. That's right. I think that's what he... <clears throat> exactly. I think, and I think that's what he's saying when he says, from which some have strayed. These very things that you just mentioned there. They've strayed from this. Uh, they've turned aside. Uh, you know, they've kind of left that, that emphasis there. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And they come off so sincere. And, and they, they don't really work through the elders. They kind of got their back channels <laughs> trying to bring in stuff. Sway a few of people maybe on the edges. Yeah, they're, they're, the devil's a sly, you know, he's sneaky. <laughs> Just trying to come up with the right S word here. <laughs> yeah, all right. Anyone else? Okay, let's uh, go ahead to verse 8 then. But we know, and a qualifier here, but we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. So just, just to qualify, the, the law itself is not bad. Right? Don't say, well, the problem is the law. You're teaching the law, and the law is bad. No, it's what, how you're teaching the law and how you're using the law. The law is good if you use it lawfully. If you use it the right way, it's good. So, I mean, it's not like the law doesn't have a purpose. Even today it does have a purpose. But we want to use it properly. We want to use it, as he says, lawfully. So there is a proper place, a proper purpose, a lawful use of the law when we use it as God intended. And that's what we want to talk about for just a minute. Uh, how, what does rightly dividing the word of truth, uh, the New Testament body of truth that is to govern our lives under the new covenant, uh, what part does the law play in our ministry today? Uh, good question. The law was never our savior. It never was. Uh, the law could never, could never save. Uh, the, what the law does is it exposes us, right? The law says, here's the standard. You can live up to that standard. You'll be good with God. Problem is, nobody lives up to that standard. Uh, the law exposes us. It convicts us. It shows us our need of a savior. Yeah. 
Well, that's right. Romans chapter 7. I don't know if I'm going to mention that one tonight or not, but yeah, uh, in my study, I was looking at that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and he's making that very point there. Yeah. Um, but uh, let's look at Romans uh, uh, 3 for just a moment here, uh, where Paul says, as he's developing the issue of sin, you know, after giving his uh, introduction in the first uh, 16, 17 verses there in Romans, then he begins to develop his first emphasis, all are under sin. And he, and he reaches this point. We know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. So this is what the law does. It, it shows we're all guilty, that every mouth may be stopped. You know, everybody's running their mouth, trying to justify themselves all the time. The law shuts you down, shuts your mouth, if you really take it for what it says. And so he says, therefore, in light of this, in light of what the law does, therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Uh, We know we are sinners because of what the law says. Uh, It shows that we are guilty before God. So a rightful use of the law is to show people they're sinners. Nobody lives up to the moral standard of God. Absolutely nobody. I like to um, use the illustration of a mirror, right? Uh, the law was like a mirror. You stand in front of the mirror. You're out and you get all filthy dirty. You're working, whatever. You go and look in, front in the mirror. Boy, that mirror, it really reveals the, the dirt on you, right? And you, and you, you got a real problem. But will the mirror cleanse you? No. The mirror is powerless to bring cleansing. Uh, it'll show you your need, show you your problem, but it won't be the answer. It won't bring the cleansing. And uh, what the law does is really magnify uh, the issue of sin. Uh, all people since Adam are sinners who have a conscience. I mean, we've had conscience from the beginning. Uh, God gave the law to magnify sin, uh, to help us see our problem more clearly. By the law is the knowledge of sin, as we've seen. Paul refers to the law as a ministry of condemnation uh, in 2 Corinthians 3.9. Say, well, I want to take us back to the law. Well, thank you, minister of condemnation. (laughs) This is really encouraging. We're all under condemnation here. We're feeling it heavy. How about some grace? Grace allows us to breathe and to be free, uh, but uh, not not the law. It's a ministry of condemnation. The law condemns us. That's its role, uh, its lawful role. You know, I like to almost say its awful role, right? I mean, yeah, in a sense, it's good for us, though, because we need to, we need to come to the end of ourselves and realize we're hopeless apart from, from Jesus Christ. Uh, so, but that's the lawful use of it. So it shows us our problem, but not the answer. Uh, the law presents our problem. The gospel presents the answer. So we do teach the law and the gospel, right? Uh, yes, we do. Uh, we bring in the law to, to show people they're sinners. Ray Comfort really emphasizes this in his ministry. Uh, and says this is kind of the missing link. We're, we're, not, we're not bringing in the law to show people their sinfulness. Uh, that is a lawful use of the law today. Uh, to show people, hey, you don't measure up uh, to, the, to the commandments. Let's talk about them. 
And nine of the Ten Commandments are repeated in the New Testament. The only one that's not repeated is the Sabbath command. But So, okay, you just want to talk about nine out of ten? That's fine. The, the, the moral standard of God is there. And uh, nobody lives up to this. Galatians uh, 3.24. Therefore, the law was our tutor. It's got something to teach us to bring us to Christ. That's what the law does. You know, guilty, 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 guilty. You need Christ. It's our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Here's the answer. Faith in Christ. The law will never save us. The law is not the Savior. Jesus Christ is the Savior when we put our faith in Him. So so that's the answer. A code to live by, uh, as a code to live by, the law was given only to the Jews. It wasn't given to the Gentiles, by the way. Gentiles were never commanded to live under this code. Uh, It was given to the Jews, uh, but it illustrates universal truth, namely that all come short of the glory of God. No one measures up to the glory of God's standard as revealed in the law. I think that is Paul's very point in Romans 3. And I think this continues to be a present tense lawful use of the law as seen in 1 Timothy 1. And we'll get into this more next time as he unpacks this and as he develops this. But uh, this is a lawful use of the law. And uh, again, uh, here, we emphasize this. uh, By the law is the knowledge of sin, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Uh, I love this verse in that it presents the standard is not other people. People like to measure up against other people and say, well, I'm not so bad. Well, how are you doing when you measure up against the glory of God? That's the standard. And all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the glory of God's standard is found in the law. Uh, And that's what everyone comes short of. Well, the law does not empower us. Uh, We need a Savior in terms of the penalty of sin, sin, and we need the Spirit in terms of power to give us victory uh, over sin, that that new covenant reality that relates relates to the Holy Spirit, of which the key fruit is love. I love this quote uh, here in uh, uh, John Bunyan. uh, Run, John, run, the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly and gives us wings. A very poetic way to make the point that we're under grace and all that relates to the new covenant to try to take us back and put us... And people want to do this. You know, we got the Hebrew Roots movement. We got all this stuff wanting to take us back and put us under the law. Uh, I mean, seriously, uh, that is not how you really grow a healthy church. That is not going to build love in terms of the people of God. It's really the administration of grace uh, that relates to faith that does that. All right, any other thoughts as we wrap up here tonight? Okay, I guess we... Yes, Marianne? Uh... <laughs> a lot of thoughts are colliding here, Marianne. You know, I, I, I love uh, Romans 8, you know, talk about the Holy Spirit. 19 times Romans 8 mentions the, uh, the Spirit. More than any other chapter in the Bible. Romans 8 follows what? Romans 7. 
What's, what's the emphasis? <laughs> Nothing gets by you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Romans 7, the, the struggle, uh, the, you know, yeah, the, the anguish, oh, wretched man that I am, uh, the things that I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do, and the conflict there. Boy, if you end at Romans 7, it's kind of, you know. <laughs> but going to Romans 8, the, the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, 19 times emphasized in Romans chapter 8. And again, that relates to new covenant reality. I don't know if that's what I was talking about or not, but kind of. Okay, we'll go with kind of. All right. Anyone else? Okay. Very good. Let's share some prayer requests here. Uh, does anybody need a prayer sheet tonight? 